Hello, church family. Today we are going to look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 25. You know, one of the realities of being a Christian, or particularly a pastor, is that you eventually notice how um, the people eventually leave the faith for whatever reason. Uh, some are because the pressure are too extreme. Uh, some are because uh, like what they wanted in, in life they didn't get, and they thought Christianity would can help fulfill that. Uh, but that's not the case, and then they end up leaving the faith. This is really no different than what Jesus said in Luke, or in the Gospels, where, uh, where Christ said there's the four soils. There's some that you share the Gospel, it takes root, it grows a little bit and it gets burned up or it gets choked out or the soil wasn't deep enough and there are those that actually grow and have multiple and have a tremendous amount of fruit. But that doesn't, that's not always the case. Um, and we see that even in a lot of ways. This is kind of like the you know, last chapter which we talked about the first Christian martyr. And chapter 8 is kind of like the, the first... Um, false convert in the New Testament church, or a person that just kind of professes the faith, or uh, claim that they believe, uh, but it isn't, doesn't take long for them to be revealed that they actually don't believe. Um, and then we're going to look at that. We're going to see how uh, there are some believers who, in the beginning of their faith, uh, might be excited for Christianity, but only in time you realize um, that that's not truly the case. So we're going to look see that in uh, chat. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 24. Uh, so just again, a little context of what's going on. Chapter 7 was Stephen's defense of the faith. He was trying his best to make sure that the Jews know that they are no different than the false teachers in the past, that they were the ones killing. If they were in the past with the prophets and the patriarchs, they would be uh, those ones that wanted to kill the righteous, um, basically signaling to them that they are not uh, as righteous as they are, but they're actually enemies of God. And because of that, they were killed, and uh, or Stephen was killed. They killed Stephen, and uh, Stephen was put out, and one of the person that, that shows up at the end of this chapter, in chapter 7, is Saul. And Saul comes out, he approves of this, um, as we see in chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church, in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So this is one of those things that when persecution happens, it's uh, the gospel eventually will will won't get snuffed out. We'll just it'll just mean that the Christians will have to move out of the place, and they'll just be dispersed. Now we understand in the beginning of this book, uh, Christ tells them to be a witness, to be their witness, to be in Judea, Samaria, and even to the most remote part. And sometimes God in his providence will use um, persecution to do that. He sometimes will say, like, this is just judgment on a nation. He gets all the Christians out, and then they judge the ones that are still there um, because of the hardness of heart. That's else was going on? The Jews, in their hardness of heart, wanted to kill Christians now. Stephen was the first one, and then um, Paul, uh, or Saul here, um, was in a complete agreement, and there was a great person that went all over, and, everyone, and it just scattered all over. Uh, and one of the good things about this is that even though it seemed like in the Jewish mind, people that wanted to kill the Christians, it seemed like by doing this they're going to end Christianity. What ended up happening was the gospel just spread throughout the world. It scattered. This is the, uh, the great dispersion here. 
And you'll notice that in uh, in the beginning in verse 1, it says Saul was in hearty agreement. This word agreement is the same word as used in Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 32. And this is a familiar verse because, you know, we see that the, this is the consequence of sin, the sin that just goes unchecked and and uh, they just continue growing and, and letting sin uh, progress and the Lord hardens their heart. It says in Romans chapter 1 verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They are not only in the same, only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And that's what's going on here. This is the same word. Just like how a person who's callous in, to, to God's holiness and law becomes approval of other people's sin. That's what Saul is doing. He's approving of all the Christians that are being killed here. Uh, he wanted them to get killed, and uh, this is something that he he he, uh, he he's for. Of course, we know that eventually that he will eventually be the one that builds the church. So right now he's trying to destroy the church, and the Lord will humble him and make him blind and save uh, this person right now. But at this point in the narrative of the Book of Acts, he's a Christian killer. Uh, continue on verse 8. And on, the, on, the day, on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions. Again, scattered is basically, this is all part of God's plan to fulfill His purpose. Uh, they just went all over the place. Verse 2. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lament over him. So again, these are just people that, um, that stayed behind, and uh, they were weeping over the fact that they lost one of their I guess essentially they're one of their leaders because he was uh, chosen to be one of the seven. Verse 3, But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So there were some that stayed behind in Jerusalem. And because of that, they were being killed. They were taken by Saul to go and, um, you know, taking them to prison. Again, we do see this irony here in that, Saul will eventually spend most of his time in prison because of the faith. but um, So I think this is part of the reason why Paul or Saul's doctrine is just filled with grace because all the stuff that he's done to the church, which doesn't really specify how much time has passed between when he started killing the Christians to uh, Acts chapter 9 where Paul gets saved or Saul gets saved. Um, but just know that he understood and he remembered all the pain that he's caused the church, all the uh, people that he killed and, and, or approved of killing. And yet, uh, God still saved him. So he, he's like ravaging the church, dragging, he's, he's indiscriminate. As long as you're a Christian, he'll just take you out. And uh, we see that as it spreads, uh, people that are in the Gentile, they get saved. So even though, again, Saul thinks, and the other Jews think that what they're doing is stopping and snuffing Christianity out, in reality, the gospel will always be spread and because the Lord builds his church. Which, again, should be an encouragement to us whenever we think about um, the, where we are in our current day, in our current age, and the time that we're living in, and the persecution that is to come. We understand that if the Lord wants some people to stay in this land, that's okay to do so. If the Lord moves other people away, that's also okay to do so. There's no need for judgment for either or, because uh, God is, um, is building His church. Uh, so he'll move some people away uh, to help build His kingdom there, or he'll keep certain people in different difficult circumstances, and that's and that's uh, totally fine as well. This should be, uh, I guess, uh, uh, it makes us it, the, the lesson I'm just thinking about. It should it should make us very 
appreciative and thankful to the life that we have and the place that we're in now. Um, you know, not everyone is called to go in the mission field, uh, but we're all called to be missionaries in the sense that everywhere we go, we're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Some people are called in difficult circumstances. Some places are, are not as difficult. Uh, but wherever you are, you just need to be faithful and you have to give an account to the Lord and how you live your life. And there are some people that scattered and some people that stayed. And that's what we're going to see what happened when, when, they were scattered, when some of the Christians were scattered throughout. Verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. This word preaching is actually, um, it's, it's this word bringing the good news. And, and, and it's, it has this idea of which is conversation or gossiping. Uh, that people that were scattered say, hey, where are you from? They're all from Jerusalem. Well, why, why did you come over all the way out here? Uh, and they said, well, that's because I was being killed for believing in Jesus. Like, who's Jesus? And then they, that, that kind of leads them into gospel conversations. That's what's going on here. Philip was one of those individuals that went down to Samaria. And he went to, uh, and was just talking to people about Jesus. And it's important to understand that that this is the Samaria. This Samaria. This is like you know the half-breed Jew and Gentile people, um, and you know the Jewish people at the time were naturally racist. They didn't see the Samaritans as their people. Uh, so the fact that these Christians were out there and Philip, being Jewish himself, went and started sharing the gospel to the Samaritans shows you that the gospel transcends ethnic boundaries. It's it's supposed to be beyond. Um, they're, 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 you know, beyond Judaism, which or, or Jerusalem, which was hard for people to understand at the time, because they thought that oh, the Jews were the chosen people, uh, and that God only works through them. But as we see, and as we will see, that the gospel is supposed to go all over the world, and everyone will be saved. It does. It doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person or not. It was always part of God's divine plan to rescue those that are believers of Him, whether they are ethnically Jewish or not. So Philip goes, and then he, he's, he's sharing the gospel, spreading and preaching the gospel, or gossiping the gospel here um, to, the, uh, to, the, to the Samaritans. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming uh, Christ to them. So pre whereas preaching is more conversational, proclaiming is more public. Um, uh, he's, he's now openly uh, uh, telling the gospel, which uh, goes to verse 6. The crowds were with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. So um, Philip was healing people or he was doing some sort of supernatural act and it drew people to Jesus. And um, there's a whole bunch of people saw and he said, what, who are you? What do you believe in? And then uh, he was able to share them and proclaim publicly the gospel to them. Verse 7, For in case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So this is very similar to what happened in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, where that lame man is healed. After they were healed, there was a lot of rejoicing and praising the Lord, and, and the Lord was uh, saving them, saving uh, not just physically, but saving them spiritually as well. Verse 9, Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing uh, magic in a city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. They all, from the smallest and great, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. So there was this one individual in Samaria that, uh, that did some sort of uh, supernatural thing, and not in the sense of like the way that the apostles were doing it, but he was doing it in the sense of just... 
um, you know, even more pagan rituals. In fact, it's a practicing magic. That's the idea of, of like cultish type things. And whatever he did, and however he did it, he's known as doing these supernatural things. And and it's supposed to uh, make and the the whole city basically believed him. Simon had a hold on this entire city, and they called him. They gave him this reputation of the great power of God. And again, this is. It's almost like back in the Exodus when Moses was testing Pharaoh's magicians, that like they was basically testing them to see, um, you know, where their powers come from. I do think that this Simon here has some sort of demonic-inspired um, gift, or he was able to manipulate through the working of the devil to go and and deceive people, and which is funny what happens later. Verse 11: They were giving him attention because he had, for a long time, astonished him with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, the good news about uh, the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women like even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great wonders taking place, he was constantly amazed. So it would seem if the story ended right there, that this, this guy, Simon, uh, came out of this pagan religion and, um, and was able to go and, uh, you know, he was baptized. He claimed he believed. He got baptized. And the result is that he started following Philip. And he was always amazed by what Philip was doing. But we, and again, if the story ended there, that would seem amazing. But that, it, but it doesn't. Verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is, over verse 16 actually is a more confusing passage. For he had not been, for he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is strange is this verse 16 here. And different theologians debate on what does this mean? How come they didn't get the Holy Spirit? And uh, for the sake of summary, here's just my perspective on this. I believe that the reason why they didn't get it was because because of Simon. He had the supernatural past, and I think if they uh, if they if the people there started uh, doing, uh, you know, having the Holy Spirit doing these miraculous things or, or things uh, to that extent, they might attribute it to Simon and his supernatural crafts. Um, but the apostles had to come so it could tie it back to the original, that the apostles were the ones that uh, were really truly disciples of Jesus Christ. And the reason why they could do what they do is because of the Holy Spirit, because of they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17, then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying of the apostles' hand, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me so, as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. So this is where Simon's real character is shown. He actually did not care so much about... Um, uh, the Holy Spirit. He wanted to purchase the, the this ability in the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, "May your silver perish with you." And it's very, uh, it's a it's a strong rebuke. In fact, it, it, one way you could translate this is to hell with you and your money, meaning you and your money both go to hell because you can't. You think you could obtain the gift of God with money. Um, and they're, you know, th this shows you that the apostles were not lovers of money, and they weren't, you know, you, they weren't able to bribe. Ultimately, they can't bribe God to give them these supernatural abilities if they give them money, because God owns everything anyways. And He rebukes them, 
verse 21, Peter uh, continues saying, you have no part of, or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. So that's so fascinating that Peter had this discernment and the ability to say that, okay, this guy, Simon, is not a true Christian. And, and I do find it ironic, too, that Simon is the one being rebuked here by Peter, which is also named Simon. So you have like the, a tale of two Simons here. The Simon, uh, the, one of the Simons is saying that the true believer Simon is rebuking the false convert uh, and saying that you, you, your heart is not right with God. So he even, he, remember, this Simon, this false Simon, uh, in verse 13 says that he believed. So there's a part of him that truly, that, that seemed like he believed that the, Jesus Christ is Lord and he even got baptized. But in time, which is actually not that long in this context, he shows you that he, how, he, how, how he views God. He views God as something that you could just purchase and that God is just someone that you, or that, that someone like any other man that you can, um, you know, bribe or something like that. And Peter's saying, no, you cannot do that and your heart is evil, is evil before the Lord. So even though Philip um, was with him, he wasn't able to discern his genuineness, but Peter was. And the reason why he was able to discern it, I think part of it, yes, the Holy Spirit was indwelling him, but also just, he just was mature. He saw what happens when people love money. I mean, he had to deal with Judas at one point. And um, he knows the corrupting nature of money. He tells him that your heart is not right with the Lord. Verse 22, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. If I see that you are in gall of bitterness and bondage of iniquity. So it's, it's amazing. He's saying like, you're still in sin, Simon. Even though you claim to believe, you even got baptized, your life does not match up with a, what a true Christian is supposed to be. Simon essentially was still in, living in his sin. and He was, was openly living in sin. He wanted to bribe the apostles, and this is obviously in front of everyone. Um, and Peter rebukes him, calls him to repentance. And that's what, you know, in our church context, we have to understand too. Just because you, you believe, you claim that you're a Christian, even if you get baptized, you could also not genuinely be saved. In my life, I've seen that. I've seen a lot of people that have gone through the Christian rituals and end up leaving the faith. So, so outward workings does not matter. Peter here was addressing Simon, all of his internal, where his heart is at. If you don't love the Lord with your heart, truly, internally, then it doesn't matter all the external things you do. You can claim to be a leader in, in whatever ministry, doing this or that. It doesn't really matter uh, because in the end, if you uh, fail to love God with your heart, you're not a true believer. Because love for the Lord will transform every way that you live. But you can't fake it. But if you fake it, you will not make it. And that's what Peter here does with Simon. Verse 24, but Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, for me yourself, so nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So there's this, there's this weird and this amazing situation where Simon acknowledges that he's wrong. But yet it seems like he... Like, there's no way that we know what happens after, but it just seems like he he might not have repented. Even though he's seen all of this, even though he's uh, uh, seen all the miracles, God professed that he believed and got baptized, his heart wasn't right. And Peter confronts him, telling him that you need to repent. He, and Simon's response should be, okay, I repent. But instead he tells him to pray for him so that one day, and, and he hopes that he will repent one day. That we don't know and if that actually happens for him. And I do hope that he does. And I hope that in heaven one day we can meet this Simon. Um, but that's just a, again, a grim reality even for those in the church today. You can do all of the external thing right, uh, but yet, yet you can even know what happens to a false convert, but yet you can still be callous to the fact that you do need to repent. 
And that is you today. My pleading for you as you listen to this podcast is not that you give more to the church or that you serve the church more or you do more ministry. My hope is that you do have a genuine heart for the Lord. That regardless of who's seeing or who doesn't see, the only person you need to think about is does the Lord know that your faith is genuine? Because if the Lord, if you know that your faith is not genuine, then the Lord obviously knows. And how you know that you genuinely are a believer is that your affections. Do you seek to, to honor the Lord with your life? Do you seek to, to devote yourself to Him and love Him more each and every single day? Because you can fake your actions, but you cannot truly fake your salvation. That's my hope and warning for us today. Thanks for listening. Take care and have a good day.